Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Welcome, and as the intro said, this is the weekly Spirit Seeker Hour brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine, and this is Cindy Meyer, the publisher. uh, Spirit Seeker has been published for 18 years in print, and we've been online for 16 of those years, so we were one of the front runners in realizing that the wonderful internet is a, uh, a great way to get the word out. Uh, We are a print magazine in St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago, and most recently we've added Seattle. Um, And then we also have a weekly email newsletter letting you know when the magazine is online, when the radio show uh, is, who the guests are, and all kinds of other wonderful Mind, Body, Spirit events throughout the U.S. and um, actually into Canada and Europe. And so if you would like to be added to our sacrosanct, and I truly mean this. We do not sell our list. Um, We keep it sacred. And if you would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com asking to be added. And we will uh, then send you the weekly email newsletter and you'll be able to click right on the cover and go to the magazine. So um, the August issue is at the printer. It's already been printed and shipped. It will be in most of the cities by uh, Thursday and it will be online on Friday morning August 1st okay so that's all of the announcements Um, so my guest this evening is someone I am so fascinated with he his name is Carl Greer he is a PhD and um, has a doctorate in psychology he's a Jungian analyst a shamanic practitioner clinical psychologist author and a philanthropist he is making a difference in the world Um, He is the author of Change Your Story, Change Your Life, which I think that that says it all right in that one sentence. Uh, He... I could go on and on, but he was a businessman for many, many years, and then he earned his doctorate in clinical psychology and became a Jungian analyst, and then with the shamanic work, he has um, studied with, I think it's five different schools. He studied with North American and South American indigenous um, trainings, and uh, I'm going to let Carl tell you the rest. So, Carl, welcome. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Thank you, Cindy. Nice to be here. So you have had an interesting life here. I mean, I looked at it, it sounds as if, you know, when you when the when the light hit you with being drawn in this other direction, you went full force and I have this sense and tell me if I'm right that you were the same way with business. <laughs> uh yes. <laughs> I I was uh, I was intense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I well, I, I like to call it passionate, but okay, intense. 
Um, but, but, you know, so how did this come about? I mean, you know, being from in the oil industry to now a practicing shaman and everything that you're doing with the philanthropic, uh, philanthropic work that you're doing for women, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So I, I would like you to just share. I'll, I'll interject and ask questions along the way. But how did this journey begin, Carl Greer? Shamans talk about the fact that we may have uh, nine lives. And uh, when each particular one uh, evolves for a person is somewhat of a mystery. But I started as a metallurgical engineer uh, as a college graduate. Then I went to uh, business school and uh, taught at Columbia University in the graduate school of business. And I became a businessman, and I'd always uh, had an interest in psychology. And in the mid-1980s, I went back to school to get a doctorate in clinical psychology. Then I became a Jungian analyst. And throughout all those years, I had always had an interest in shamanism, but I never felt I could just pull up stakes with my life responsibilities and study with a shaman. But I found uh, around the year 2000, it was possible to uh, do some work with Alberto Viotto. So I went and studied with him for a while and then taught at his school. And from there, spent time with shamans in various parts of the world. Developed my own shamanic uh, practice, as well as seeing people as a clinical psychologist and as a Jungian analyst. And now I'm getting to the uh, older stage in my life where I'm thinking about giving back and that's where my philanthropic interests are starting to get manifested. So that's that's my story. Well, and, you know, I love Jungian psychology. I, you know, I, I think so many people, you know, could benefit from working with someone with those gifts. And so, and I feel like it's a perfect adjunct to, I mean, it, it probably, well, I, you can explain how how you have dovetailed these these two approaches um, with the archetypes, et cetera. I I mean, when I read all of the different things in your book, I thought, wow. I mean, it just you have there's just so many overlays. Shall we shall we put it? And I don't yes, know if I explained no, that. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I think uh, uh, the depth psychological perspective of uh, Jungian. Uh, psychology and shamanism are very compatible and and they get to uh, those realms that we often need to get information from and energy to make change because sometimes our conscious wills are just not enough to cause us to live differently. So with all of the different shamanic um, practices that you, you know, you've studied with so many different, you know, wonderful people, so would you be kind enough to share, like, what that was like and how each um, teacher was different, shall we say, in their own unique way? One of my uh, real good friends is a Blackfoot elder, and uh, he and I have spent much time together uh, in Canada where he lives. So I have a sense of those uh, traditions. And then I spent time in uh, 
Peru, uh, part of uh, of uh, groups, but also um, more recently uh, a lot of time by myself with shaman friends down there. And I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to shamans in Australia and Africa and Mongolia. So I have a sense energetically how they work. And each of them has a slightly different worldview, Cindy, but I think at core they're all seeing the same thing, which is we all came from some place uh, before we got here. And that place has much energy that can influence what happens while we're here. And we're going to go back to that place when we are no longer here in these physical bodies. And some of the ways that place continues to influence us is through these invisible transpersonal worlds that in part are uh, archetypal, part are in nature. And to be able to better relate to those through our own experiences, uh, I think is, is a goal, and it's been a goal for me, so that at some point the experience itself is the teacher, and you're grateful for the teachers who helped provide those experiences, but increasingly you're on your own to find your own experiences and to learn from them. That's that's a beautiful way to explain um, life. You know the empowerment that comes from um, trusting trusting ourselves to listen to source or or to understand the journey. Um, I, to to me, that's that is what it's all about. And you know, so many people these days have lost, in my in my humble opinion, they. Many people are disenchanted with religion. They're disenchanted with, um, you know, there's just been a lot of things. And, and until you have your own personal relationship with nature and source, um, and I, that's why I think your book is so valuable. You address so many of these topics um, in, 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 your, in your book and talking about transformation and serving others. And, I mean, I think it's, I think, you know, it had to be so interesting studying with shamans in Africa and then, you know, um, in outer Mongolia. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine what this experience was like. Well, they're all, uh, as I said, at core, very uh, grateful and appreciative to be part of this big picture. And uh, a lot of their practice is one of gratitude towards nature, but also to the, the powers behind nature. And I really believe that at its uh, essence, shamans work with energy, they heal, they work with the past, and they work with the future. And I think beyond that, there are common objectives of knowing oneself better, connecting to a higher power, and being of service to others. So even though they're different cultures and different languages, they, I think, have those elements in common. So, Carl, what, what would you, what would be your definition of a shaman? Just, um, I mean, I think you pretty much said it. But for someone who's listening and saying, you know, I've heard of shamanic journeys, I've heard of shamanic. Um, ceremonies 
I think I'd say uh, a shaman is one who can uh, relate to the worlds that we might call invisible. They could be the unconscious worlds or the worlds that uh, are outside of us that we don't see the uh, energies of nature. And they do it in a respectful way, but somehow through their interactions in those realms, things happen in our manifest reality that otherwise might not. You know, I can remember the first time I did um, a sweat lodge, and then there was an an, an NEP, uh, well, that was the NEP ceremony, and then I forget what it was called. There was another name for it, but all of the windows were um, covered, you know, to where no light came in, and so we were in a room filled, you know, totally dark, and and then you could feel like the spirits come in, and you know, it was a little bit frightening to some of the people because there were different um, the the Native American uh, leader who who in, did the ceremony um, called in all all his teachers, all the you know, the spirits that came in and you you know, it was it was like on every level. I felt the wind rushing, I felt and heard birds. I mean, it was just fascinating and I've never forgotten that and I thought, you know and, and then I've done medicine uh sweat lodges with many different Native American leaders over the years and there's something so sacred about being grateful and and connected to the earth that I mean, so many people today get in their cars, they go to work, and you know, get into a public garage. They're allergic to, you know, they're sensitive to this. They they can't have that. They you know, they can't breathe the air. And you know, to me, you don't find that so much in other cultures. No, no. And uh, I'm struck. I live in Chicago, and there's some kids uh, that have really never been out of Chicago. And one of the charities that I support is the Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. And some of those kids get to go to a summer camp up in the Boundary Waters, uh, Minnesota. Yes. And it's just transformative for them, Cindy. I mean, to be out in nature, to uh, see lightning and to canoe and to have big fires, it just is uh, It's very healing. And it's... It just opens them up in ways that uh, many other interventions just don't do. You know, I lived in Mundelein, Illinois in the early 70s. And, um, you know, it's funny. I met this the, one of my best friends, you know, to this day. And she used to work with, um, she was either the photographer or the cook, but she would be with those groups of kids. Um, and she taught them how to portage a canoe and how to, you know, yeah. lift it and care. And and the stories that she told me about the children and the life-changing experiences, I know exactly of what you were speaking. It's, you know, you know, like all of a sudden they have to carry the canoe to get to the water again, you know, and life-changing. Yes, yes. I did not realize there was – I knew that you worked a lot with the women's uh, groups and um, – with advocacy with women, but I didn't, I, I don't know, somehow I missed that you worked with children too. That, that's fabulous. Yeah, my so, notion there is, excuse me, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that um, uh, I think a good uh, 
thing is for kids who otherwise wouldn't have a chance to get an education so that they have the opportunity to get jobs that give them a, a, a living wage. Uh, I think to help that process happen is a, a good give back. And it's complicated because the reasons why some of the kids don't get uh, uh, educated is they uh, come from very troubled backgrounds. They don't have the uh, uh, prerequisites to get to the next level. But in, in so many cases, they're as bright as all get out. They just need the, the extra attention and the help, and, uh, and then they're dynamite. And, and so I think uh, societally to help those kids get a chance is a, is a good thing. Well, and, you know, you talked about, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I just looked at your website again because I thought, how did I miss this? And, you know, when you're talking about the Greer Foundation helping the, the children in the public and parochial schools to educate them and also the, um, the correlation of they're less likely to experience domestic violence when they become older, I I think that that is one of the biggest problems, you know, in, like, you know, my daughter um, worked the hotlines for a women's self-help center in St. Louis, and then she also, when she was in law school in Miami, worked for a volunteer. Um, it was a safe house for women. She, she did volunteer work, and she said that the hardest part that she found, she, she also worked for... Um, it was in St. Louis where they took uh, a lot of Afghanistan women and a lot of Bosnians. Um, she would teach them how to use buses, how to use, you know, public transportation. Um, it was the International, I, I cannot remember right now, but it was the Institute for, an International Immigration Institute in St. Louis. And what she said is that, you know, she's, she's she uh, speaks Spanish, Italian, and English, and she said that in the United States, the Hispanic population um, is one of the largest, like, there's just no voice for women, you know, with, with domestic violence. I mean, number one, you know, they there's a language barrier. Number two, it's cultural. And I think that you are so on the right track with um, helping children see especially teenagers and children, that there's another way outside of what they only know. Well, some of the, uh, I don't know how uh, anecdotal and how factually true it is, but, but some say that by 11th grade, many of the girls in the public schools uh, have been hit by their boyfriends. And uh, that's pretty shocking to me. And if somehow... Uh, programs for 7th, 8th, ninth graders can uh, prevent some of that and make uh, girls think that that's not a sign of, uh, uh, of he loves you, but really it's a very bad thing, that can be very helpful. And then you go 20 years later and, uh, I don't know, 25 to 35% of all women supposedly are in uh, abusive relationships and if you could just reduce that by a few percentage, it's societally, again, a very big thing, in my opinion. You know, I, um, I, I, I don't know why I wrote this paper on this, but I, I, I researched um, 
domestic uh, domestic abuse when I was uh, domestic violence when I was working I, di- I didn't finish it but I was working on a, a social work degree and one of the things that they said is that when um, boys and girls are pretty much even shall we say until age 11 12 when boys become much stronger and that's the first part of when you really see the power and domination because of the strength they're stronger and girls realize that they're not as strong as the boys physically and um and i think that I think that as a society and a culture, you know, we have so many different cultures in the U.S. that, and more and more, you know, um, we're going to need to be more understanding. And I remember my professor, uh, Shanti Kanduka, he was the professor at Washington University, which is where I studied social work, and he said, and this was, you know, back in 1993 or 4, and he said 10 years from now, which, of course, we're now 20 years, he said that the whole, you know, blend of the of the U.S. population will be so different. And he said, you know, we've, we've been predominantly white. And he says, but the Hispanic population will take the lead because of the melting pot of so many different crossovers. And he said that, you know, he talked about the six different, you know, the, the yellow, the Asians, the red, the Native Americans, um, all the, you know, that there's five or six colors and that, you know, would all become blended, but that if we as a society did not start to understand the the cultural changes of the demographic blend in the U.S., that we were really going to have problems, and what are we seeing everywhere now? Well, that's absolutely uh, right, and you were saying earlier about uh, the Hispanic uh, population uh, may not have the uh, the resources to help the uh, women who are abused as much as maybe other other groups, uh, in part, uh, I think, uh, in the machismo kind of cultures, it's not as uh, looked down upon as it is in other uh, cultures. And also, it's harder for a woman to uh, to leave because uh, she's so tied into her family, particularly if she's a, an immigrant. Where is she going to go? Where is she going to live? How is she going to work? Exactly. And, you know, so I, I, I just feel that, you know, your, your book, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I mean, how did you come to write this book? I mean, was it just, you know, as you're journeying through all these different um, mind expansions, through studying with all the different teachers, and, I mean, how did this book come to be? Well, I've been with... Uh lots and lots of people over the years and, hold lot, and heard lots of stories. And uh, one, uh, a number of them were like trapped in their story. They, they were living a story that was if somebody else had written it for them. Uh-huh. And uh, so that was one group uh, that I wanted to write for, to give them ways to feel they had more freedom to be the director of their own life rather than have it being uh, directed by others or by forces beyond their control. Then another group were people who uh, were very spiritual and had you know powerful spiritual experiences, but they just weren't able to bring them into their everyday life to make changes. So I wanted to write a book that might be of use to them as well. And then the last uh, objective I had was to uh, give people... Uh, ways to think about being of service in the world uh, 
where it wasn't a have to or a should, but it came from a more organic uh, uh, place than than uh, a have to. So those were the reasons I wrote the book. Well, and you know, you've been to John of God. You've been, you've just been so many places. And you know, Wayne Dyer has brought so much awareness to John of God. You know, when he was diagnosed diagnosed with leukemia, I was I was at a seminar where. Um, he said to the group, I won't be staying afterwards to shake hands like I, or sign books like I normally do. My doctor, you know, has given me the instructions to, like, not do that. And he said, I'm, I'm leaving here and going to see my mother, and, you know, they've given me this diagnosis, but I refuse to accept it. And, you know, I mean, if he had listened, you know, to the story or the predictions of what they'd said, he wouldn't be here today talking to us, you know, and he's still helping us. So he, you know, I, I, I love how you described, you know, all the different adversities and even people who have studied, you know, like, like Wayne Dyer, I, I once interviewed him and he'd had, I was going through cancer at the time and he was, he had just had a heart attack and I said, you know, so many people from the holistic community are, are very critical of me doing traditional. I said, I said, I'm doing everything I know, traditional and non-traditional. And he said, look, he said, when I had my heart attack, I didn't know how to fix my heart. He said, so I let the, the heart people do that. But he said, I knew I had other changes to make. And so I think that, you know, when you were talking about the, you know, the spiritual community, there's, there's often like even judgment within the holistic and spiritual community. You know, people people feel they don't sometimes know how to deal with, personal afflictions and that's I think sometimes when the greatest connection to source happens because you you just know the chips are falling and you better figure things out quickly and what better way than to connect with source no, I, I, I agree and uh, it's like um, you know what profiteth the man or woman if we gain the whole world and lose our soul but what if we gain our soul but lose the whole world so it's that tension between being embodied and, and, and taking care of this reality, and also being aware of our spiritual nature. You know, shamans talk about uh, uh, various ways of uh, interacting with life, and one way is the very literal embodied through the senses. So you and I would look out and we'd see things, and uh, if we describe them, we may describe them in the same way, but if we then go to the next level of, of relating to life through our minds or our psychologies, you might have a completely different meaning to what you saw compared to what I had. And then if you go to even another level of uh, experiencing life, to its themes, its archetypal uh, themes, such as uh, being a a son or a a father, daughter, wife, mother, uh, and all the different roles that we take on, then you can see life through that lens. And then the lens of just being pure energy, you know, being one, at some level. And so I think when you're talking about uh, uh, the schism between holistic uh, medicine and, say, uh, Western medicine, I think the shaman would say each of these realms has its own uh, realities and its uses. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes uh, if, you, if you have a uh, blockage uh, uh, in an artery, you know, a good intervention is to unblock it. And sometimes... Right. <laughs> that leads you to uh, uh, 
considering lifestyle changes in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a new way of relating psychologically and spiritually to life so that it doesn't come back, that's equally valuable. And sometimes, and I've seen it, and I'm sure you have too, the spiritual can cause miraculous changes at the body level. So I think they're all valuable. It's just with our uh, discernment, knowing what to do for us uh, at the time. Couldn't agree more. And each person's journey is their journey. And, you know, I, I like how you um, addressed, you know, looking, looking at, you know, I'm just going to read this, to achieve the goal of being more present in the moment and open to the voice of source, we need to recognize those situations where our thoughts, feelings, and roles take over and cause us to act unconsciously from a recurring pattern. You know, I think that so many of us, just get caught up. Like there was this saying one time, I dig in the ditch to make the money to buy the food to give me the strength to dig in the ditch. Yeah, right. right. It's like, I mean, I've never forgotten it. It's like one of those, yeah. you know, like, and, and it's like, wait a minute, there has to be more. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, so so shamanism, you know, from everything that I, you know, have have understood from, you know, your article, your book, and, and what I've studied personally, it's to help a person take those pieces of themselves and almost like realign them in a new way. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, it is. And that would also be true of uh, uh, Jungian uh, psychology. Uh, and the notion is all we really have is our uh, decisions that we make in the present. Uh, so we, we, we make uh, a lot of choices moment to moment as to what we think, do, feel. Uh, sometimes we have more or less control over them than we think, but the, the depth psychology approach and the shamanic approach is to try to work with our pasts so that we bring to these present choice moments as little baggage as possible so that we are as free as we can be from those recurrent uh, patterns that uh, unconsciously have gripped us. And then the other uh, thing that deaf psychologists and shamans would say is if we can align ourselves with a future that's more compatible with ourselves and source in this lifetime and be drawn by that, that will influence our present decisions also. So the, the work is to be more free of our past than we otherwise would be, be more aligned with a, a more congruent future so that our present decisions are more elegant than they otherwise might be. That's that's a good way to explain it. And, um, you know, you talk about the art of storytelling, and um, you have a blog where people can, you know, read, you know, you share your thoughts. And um, so I want to mention all, all of this information, listeners, can be found at carlgreer.com, and that's C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. And, um, you know, the blog, I think, is a beautiful way, you know, for you to continue this work, you know, um, and and I I like that you're you know you're you're letting people share in that way and then all of the different charities that you're working with, I mean you're really you're reaching out in so many different ways and you know it's it's a blessing and you know when you were talking in your book about you know uh, serving others I mean to me I think that's what it's all about 
you know, like being of service. And, and so let's talk about that because I, I, I loved how you explained it and I would love for the listeners to um, understand what, what serving others or giving back or being of service truly means. Um, and so, so if you would explain that, uh, I would be grateful. I, in, in workshops that I had uh, led, uh, I said uh, one of the objectives was just like I was saying to you for uh, the book, and, and one of them was uh, for people to wrestle with what being of service means. And I never really defined it. And uh, it was very interesting to me, Cindy, to see over the course of the workshops how people wrestled with that idea. And some of them really got... Uh, quite uh, uh, revved up about the idea, look, I'm of service all the time, you can't make me do this, Uh, um, this, that, and the other. They had all this inner dialogue going on about the pressure to be of service. And so part of the work was to see that's really internal, and nobody's going to make you do anything. And maybe as you have some of these transpersonal experiences and ask spirit in the lower world through a journey or the upper world to give you insights into your being of service, you'll have a different consensus to it. And that, in fact, did happen. People got really loose around it and saw that it's not necessarily, you know, giving a lot of money or uh, volunteering, all of which can be very helpful, but it's just being present with others in a new way where you are there, uh, uh, you're just present and you're listening, and that can be of service. Uh, uh, you know, somebody on the street uh, uh, asks you for money, and instead of kind of shunning them uh, and, and thinking all the negative thoughts, maybe you you, uh, uh, you you give them a little money, and uh, within yourself you give them a blessing. Uh, that can be of service, in my opinion. So it can be the little things as well as the big grand, grand things. I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know... It's all about compassion, and it's all about, um, you know, totally being present. And, you know, I had a friend who's a very successful businesswoman, and I don't even know what the training was that she – she's always taken all these things, Laura Langemeyer's, like, million-dollar table, all these different things. She's done all this. And But whatever this one was, she was um, – they, they were given the assignment to go out. They had to go out on the street and it was a large city wherever she was, and they had to panhandle, like, act, you know, literally see what that felt like to embody that, um, to, to, to ask people for, for money. And, 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 oh, and there's another story. There was a minister, and you, you may have heard the story, but there was a minister who had been hired by this church. You know, they'd gone through the search committee and everything, and, um, and so he dressed up as a homeless poor person and was outside the church as everyone was coming into church and most of only two people spoke to him out of like hundreds of people that were coming in to meet the new minister and when he went up to the pulpit and was the minister he said i've met already met many of you i um i attempted to have eye contact with you on your way in today he said do any of you remember the homeless person that only two spoke to he says that was me and he said, we're so here to yeah. be, I mean, you know, you get the rest. It's, uh, you know, I don't need to say yeah. it. But it was a true story. And I thought, how how interesting to teach in that fashion. Yes, yes. That's very touching. And it's, 
and and we're all react to to the other in, in sometimes ways that when we have it mirrored back to us like you're just doing, we feel ashamed of ourselves, and yet we're uh, it, it's tough to move beyond our prejudices sometimes. I, I do think that shamanic and Jungian work, as we learn more about our unconscious tendencies, can help reduce those things. But, you know, we, it's hard to get completely free of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl, will you talk about your experience um, in, in Brazil and, and the story that you talk about um, when you had the vision, you know, of, of, of the kitchen scene with Jesus coming? Yes. Um, Only if you want to, a, but I just think it's... Yeah. A, there, there, there's a place in Abadania, uh where John and God sees people. Uh, there's the current room, and then there's you know places where you can sit and uh, meditate and hold space for others. And I was at a place where I was holding space for others and meditating. And I uh, just had this uh, this feeling that I was preparing food in a kitchen um, for someone. And... Uh, then later that day, I was back in that room, and uh, the, the the vision or the image kept changing uh, to the person that I was going to feed in my kitchen. I was also going to show a garden to, and it turned out that the person was Jesus. And I was uh, so touched that he would uh, deign to um, relate like a brother to me, and it really, uh, uh, it really touched me, and I cried. Well, it's just beautiful. I mean, and and who could have ever known, as you're holding space, that you would have that vision? Right. That I that's mean, it's a, unpredictable. It is, and all these experiences and, and, and journeys and uh, things I suggest in my book, uh, it's really not predictable what's going to happen. And that's, uh, I think, both the uh, uh, the scary part of it, but also the grand part of it. Because if you really can relate to those places in ways that are respectful, there's much information and energy for uh, that's available to us. Well, I'm going to um, read another part. It says, as we come to understand the holds that our current story and our emotional and psychological wounds have on us, we are able to disconnect the story and our wounds from the harsh, painful emotions wrapped around them. We learn to observe ourselves and others as well as situations we encounter with greater detachment and compassion. And, you know, it's almost like stepping out of yourself. When I read that, I thought, it's like stepping out in order to see. Yes, 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 that's, that's, that's it. Uh, it's so easy to get so caught up in the emotional maelstrom of a situation that we lose uh, really freedom to act in ways that we otherwise might want to because we just get swept along by the emotions. But if we can have a little bit of a pause from all those feelings and, and, and look at what's going on, we have a chance, don't always take it, to do something different than we in the past might have done. So, Carl, you've worked with groups, you've worked with individuals. What, what are some of the miracles that you have seen where this shift 
and stepping out and changing the story so that, you know, it's not, I mean, I know that you've talked about how there are generations and generations of, you know, where people, you know, oh, that's always run on my family. Oh, that's, you know, the, the blueprint, you know, story, so to speak. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's so interesting how when you step out of that, well, I'll, I'll let you explain it. So how, how do you suggest that we, you know, that people step out of that blueprint story of multi-generations and someone breaks the code, so to speak? Well, I think the first thing is a person has to be willing to take the time to look at their story honestly for what it is. With all of his chapters, you know, your health, your relationships, your psychology, your jobs, your relationship to a higher power, being of service, your sexuality, your relationship to money, to authority, to time, all the various things that uh, can influence us and that we're uh, interrelating to uh, every day of our lives. So it's hard to look at ourselves honestly because when we start to tell ourselves the story, I find that uh, we often want to tell the story that we want others to hear or they want us to see us in a certain way. But if you can strip those uh, considerations away and be completely honest with yourself, that's the starting point. And then you ask yourself, all right, and I suggest various exercises to see ourselves, both using the rational and non-rational part of our brain. But once you've done that and you say, all right, there's some changes I'd like to make, then you can ask yourself, well, why haven't you made them? Uh, And... Oftentimes, people uh, want to make a change, but they're afraid that if they change, uh, others around them would uh, not uh, value them as much anymore. They, they'd lose, uh, lose something. But uh, once they are aware of that possibility, the things I suggest to facilitate the change more than just using your, your will would be to go to these transpersonal places through shamanic and Jungian work to get information and energy that, as you said earlier, is completely unpredictable, that can help you make the changes that you've heretofore not been able to make. And that's the, the message. And that would be through journey work, through working with your dreams, being in nature, doing ceremonies and rituals, all to connect to this bigger, this bigger space that we're all part of. You know, it's it's this last weekend I was teaching a weekend on developing your intuition and one of one of my students is just you know, excellent with understanding animal communication and animal totems and et cetera and it was so interesting how many people um understood, you know, like like they encountered unusual animals like in different situations that, you know, just were not the norm at all on any level. But they had never really done the inquiry as to what those animals meant. And I just saw so many people with awarenesses, um, you know, like, oh, so that praying mantis that, you know, was absolutely huge that appeared meant this. Or, um, like, you know, one person was in a city and there was a badger that came, you know, like, yes. like uh, you know, it's like, you know, where do you think that came from? You know, that was definitely someone speaking to you, you know, through through a different realm of consciousness, shall we say. And, and you know, and I I was, you know, we, we had each person kind of rotate so that my voice wasn't the only one heard. And so, you know, one person would read Beaver and then the next one would read it. And so it comes came to me and, you know, I... I 
had hippopotamus, and I never really thought about hippopotamuses. And so then someone had a deck of cards, so we each drew a card, and I turned the deck over, and there was the hippopotamus card. And, And I thought, you know, this is just not an accident. And then the gal who was supporting one of my assistants said, you know, I picked up two hippopotamuses at these estate sales lately, and I didn't know who they were for. Uh, I mean, how do you explain that? You know, it's like get out of the linear mind and just, you know, be a little adventurous and, 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 you know, step out of that and step into, you know, what you're talking about in your book. It's like, who could, yeah, how could that have been predicted, you know? No, and, no, and, and I believe that uh, I talk about preparing for the work by being in sacred space and, you know, just by being in a group like you're describing, I think our consciousness shifts so that we invite in those experiences, but also we're, we're, we're better able to uh, see them when they come. Uh, and and uh, so we live in a world of, uh, of, of uh, mystery and magic. And, uh, uh, and I, I would just comment that uh, uh, some of my workshops, people have had experiences uh, with animals that are, uh, quite outside the the ken of uh, what they normally would have, and and oftentimes they'll say, "Well, Carl, this you know uh, a bat just flew by me. What, what does that mean?" And I say, instead of going to a book and looking up what bat means, ask the and I have a process in my book I call dialoguing. Ask the energy of the bat. Why did you come? What message do you have for me? What do you want from me? And establish a relationship with whatever it is that you are experiencing so that you directly are finding out what it might mean for you rather than having uh, uh, an authority uh, or someone else tell you what it means. Right. That, can be very much, po- that, can, that can be very powerful too, Cindy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. You know, whenever I see a hawk, I said, is there a message for me? <laughs> you know, and, and it just never ceases to amaze me. Like, you know, well, okay, my, my mother... Um, uh, I cared for her her last three months of her life, and there was this this Native American woman who I had done readings for, and she came to my house one day. She just showed up, and she said, "Look, I know I I know I'm just coming in, you know, without calling you, but I was in the neighborhood." And she said, "I'm just so bored. I'm just so tired. I'm sleeping all the time while my husband's at work." And she said, "I was at Sam's." wholesale and I asked if the if if I could be a volunteer greeter and they looked at me like I was crazy and she said but do you think I could I could help you is there anything I could do here and I said Mary my mom is not doing so well and you know it's you know if you could help me with my mom I just just to even be here sometimes and just help with my mom I'd be so grateful Hmm. so you know miss native american my mother was a native american but you know she didn't embrace it she was actually told as a child to not let anyone know because at the time her mother being married to a half native american man was you know quite um there was a lot of prejudice and so don't tell anyone don't tell anyone that you're half indian you know that's what she heard growing up and so mm-hmm. here's this native american woman sent with all this stuff from the medicine man from the from the reservation and so she just helped my mom so much and the week mm. that my mom died i saw three owls and one ah. was in the middle of the day carl it was 7:30 in the morning like there was this owl and I, so i said to mary i said mary i said mary what does it mean when you see owls i said three of them and i said one was the i was hiking and and this huge owl went over my head 
And um, I said, what does this mean? And she looked at me and she said, your mother's getting very near to crossing. That's, that's spirit talking to you, letting you know. And it made total sense to me when she said yes. it. But, and, you know, and I thought, it's just so amazing, like, when you're present. I mean, you miss so much when you're not present. Absolutely right. So much. So, Carl, you know, with with the work that you're doing and the whole um, premise that shamanic work is to know yourself, but to know yourself talking to Source more and being with Source, what what other way ways can, you know, someone who's saying, oh, my gosh, I've never thought about looking at life this way, what other suggestions do you have for people who are just just waking up, shall we say, and, and wanting to, to do life in a different way? I'd say uh, uh, one thing they could do is spend time in nature uh, without uh, an agenda. Uh, just be, be in nature. And then if they wanted to be uh, uh, thinking about things, start to think how nature is observing them, just like they're observing nature. And when you start to not only feel that and think that, but realize that, that can be very uh, uh, transformative. And then, then you start to believe, you know, there is something here that I can't quite put my finger on. And then you might be more likely to look at your dreams, write them down, and see what messages might be there that your unconscious wants to give you. And then you might be uh, ready to try a journey. Uh, I talk about a lower world journey, an upper world journey. I talk about journeying to source. I talk about working with death. So uh, to work with nature would be a good start. And also think, uh, what could you do to have a little ceremony where you want to express gratitude for something, whatever it is. And uh, I talk about fire ceremonies or uh, uh, it's a South American ceremony uh, called a despacho. Um, I talk about using uh, sand paintings, all ways to uh, work with these invisible realms. I think a person could learn to do that relatively uh, uh, quickly. Well, and you know, our culture... Um, does not train us about death. It's like, I, I know you know what I'm talking about here. It's, you know, I, I was a nurse for years, and I do believe nurses and doctors are probably, they're better now, but in, back in the day, they did anything and everything to, like, keep the person alive, and thank goodness that has changed now. But, but you know, even as children, we, like, death is this thing. We don't really understand it. And in other cultures, it's not that way. No, it's uh, it's not. And if if we think of death as just uh, an energy that has certain characteristics, and that uh, if we can relate to it, maybe we can learn while we're alive to let die things within us that need to die in order for new life to happen. Then we start to realize that death and life are in a continuum. Uh, we start to uh, look at ourselves and see where are we carriers of death, where do we kill things without thinking, you know, ideas, relationships, uh, animals, uh, without consciousness. 
So to have a, a practice of relating to death, I think, can be very, uh, very useful for most of us. I couldn't agree more. And you know, I remember when my mom was dying. I I was. I was so tired. She had a stroke, and then after that, she was talking in languages I never heard of. And I remember saying to God, oh, please, 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 you know, please let her voice come back and her language come back. Please, this is even harder. And all of a sudden, she started talking again, and she came back. And I was just, like, so grateful. I was just so grateful. And But I remember saying to my mom, don't you want to, you know, be here when your next grandchild is born? Because she had a grandchild on the way. And Mm. and you know what, my mother, I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, you know, Cindy, there's always going to be a holiday, a birthday, a child coming. There's there's always going to be those. She says, there's really no good time to die. It's Mm. when you're ready, it's time. And I I just remember thinking, wow. Wow, my mom is teaching me so much, and you know, I mean, there, you just drop your body; it's done. It's time. That's a very wise woman. <laughs> I mean, and what's funny is that when she was crossing over, a yoga teacher showed up at my house. You know, I work out of my home to pay her advertising bill, and I was just like, I can't talk right now. I said, This is a very sacred time, and she said. May I help? May I come in and help? And I thought, okay, there's no way this was an accident that she showed up. And I said, mm. well, what do you what 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 do you mean? And she said, I just know things. And so she re- she gathered up rose quartz crystals around from around my house, and she put the crystals on my mother. And then Mary was doing the incense from the medicine man from the reservation. And then we were, mm. you know, it was just it was. And then and then there was this um, young young man that I well, I shouldn't say young man, but this man that I had dated briefly and then just didn't date but he met my mother during this time period and he was a Buddhist from Japan and he he said please please when the time comes don't let them take the body call me before they take the body and so he did Buddhist Buddhist chants around my mother I mean and my mm. mother was this Catholic woman you know and mm. but, yet, <laughs> but yet but yet married the Native American um, called her, her I don't know her daughter must have called during this and she showed up and did some some Catholic sacred right thing that I didn't even know about to help my mom cross over. And I just looked at this whole thing. My my older brother and I looked at each other and we were like, we could never have orchestrated this in a thousand years. It was like it was like my mom has quite a going out, you know. And who could have yes. ever predicted, you know? But that was being present in source, you know. Sent, I mean, that was totally that was you know, it was it was magical. Yes. I know it's weird. You're probably like this this crazy Cindy on the other end of the line, but but you know, you know there was I'm a thinking. Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking. Uh, uh, in fact, this was as you were as you, as you were talking about uh, uh, this Catholic woman having all those uh, 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 other traditions helping her pass. Uh, uh, let me read you. Uh, something that would be very shamanic, and then I'll tell you what it is. You may know what it is. O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, soften the ground of our being and carve out a space within us where your presence can abide. Fill us with your creativity so that we may be empowered to bear the fruit of your mission. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire. Endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish, 
untie the tangled threads of destiny that binds us as we release others from the entanglements of past mistakes. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. That, this would be very, very shamanic, but it happens to be the Lord's Prayer directly translated from the Aramaic into English. Uh, so it didn't go through Aramaic to Greek to Latin to Old English to New English. And so uh, uh, all these traditions, I'm suggesting, uh, at core, have much the same reverence for this greater power. And this is the Lord's Prayer, the original Lord's Prayer. That's beautiful. I have never heard, you know, that that is like in its purest form is what I just heard. Yes, yes. You and know, shamans, when, this would be a, sham, a shamanic manifesto. Uh, people would, who are shamans would say, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Right. Like, let nothing take you away from, from that soul's purpose. It's like, that's yes. beautiful, Carl. That is just so beautiful. So beautiful. You know, when Pope Francis was um, installed or whatever it is, when he, you know, was, you know, there in Rome, I read an article by a nun uh, from St. Louis who had made the journey. And she said that when his inauguration or whatever, I forget the name of it, but whatever, you, you know what I'm talking about. When he said the prayer, he had the Our Father. Our Father was said, every language, everyone, when he said Our Father, every language on the square, and I've been to the Vatican, it was like the most beautiful, she said it was the most beautiful touching experience to hear everyone from every language saying the same prayer in mm. a different way. And I think that's what it's, that's, we're all connected. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. That, 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 that prayer is beautiful. I like another, um, another uh, part of your book where you say all there is. Mm. Each moment only breathe in, breathe out. Thoughts, feelings in, thoughts, feelings out, some sticking, some repeating, but always with the possibility of creating a new world of attitudes, thoughts, feelings, actions from the myriad possibilities of our isness. Hmm. I had never heard isness before. I thought, when I read that, I thought, that is it. It's isness. It's not, well, I thought it was just very beautifully put. Thank you. So it's this isness that this is all about. Yes, it is. In honoring it and uh, being grateful for it. Well, I am grateful, Carl Greer, that you listened. After being a successful businessman, you could have retired and just, you know, sat there and done nothing. And instead, I have the sense that you're busier now than when you were a businessman. Am I right? I am. And uh, in part, <laughs> it's uh, entering this technological world of uh, websites and email and uh, iPads <sighs> that I had no experience with at all, Cindy, until quite recently. Do you know that Wayne Dyer hand wrote every single one of his books until one of his eight children gave him an iPad, and it's just now that he's surrendering and learning technology. <laughs> but he hand he hand wrote every single one of his books. Well, you that's know, how so I, wrote mine. I hand wrote it and 
irritated. I don't know, but you're giving back in a whole new way. And um, so, listeners, you can read Carl's blog. There's information on his book, um, everything at carlgreer.com. Um, this, you know, you're doing just fabulous work, and and I think it's beautiful that you have your wife doing this work right along with you. I mean, how beautiful is that? Yes. Yes, it is beautiful. So. Last words of wisdom for for all of us, Mr. Carl Greer. So change your story, change your life. Just the last thought that comes to mind to share with us this evening. That uh, believe that we each have a destiny in this lifetime and that it's possible to have one through being open to the worlds that are often unseen, by being open to those worlds to connect to a destiny that might be more rich and fulfilling than we can even dream of. The isness. The isness. I'm sorry, but that's... It's, so thank you, thank you, thank you. You know... Um, Thank you for being who you are and and listening to Source and helping so many and, you know, from the children to the women to the teenagers to all of us who can benefit from from your sharing and your 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 sharing. I mean, that's what it's all about. So I from my heart to yours, Carl, I, I thank you so much and thank you for being my guest this evening and thank you for contributing to Spirit Seeker and um, you know, just being a part of our bigger family. I appreciate you having me, and I enjoyed talking to you. Okay. All right. Until we meet again. Thank you so much, and thank you, listeners. And we'll be back on the air this, this you know, next week. And the new Spirit Seeker, the August issue, will be online on Friday. So thank you for supporting the, the magazine. Thank you for supporting the radio show. We know you listen. And we just give thanks for all of us coming together in this in this way. So namaste, good evening all, and thank you again, Carl. Blessings.